from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to have you here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and appreciate you tuning in to the broadcast here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, and of course on WakeUpCallDT.com's homepage where you can pick up the live feed itself as well. So happy morning to each and every single one of you. Hope you guys are having a tremendous day, and I appreciate you being here and appreciate you listening on the airwaves of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. As we start off the broadcast, we have a trio of things, or maybe you know I would say we have, uh, we have four different things we're going to be talking about. Today are four different pieces. We're going to start off with Papa Joe's picks, as we always do here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. So we're going to start off with Papa Joe's picks and talk a little bit of college football as well as the NFL. In the second part of this first hour of the broadcast, we will be discussing Syracuse men's basketball. It is an orange game day, so we'll be talking about the upcoming game that Syracuse has against Miami. We'll also recap the Syracuse women's team against Miami and and how they fared against that. So we'll talk about all of that here coming up in just a, in just a little bit, and we'll have one-on-one conversations with the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team assistant coaches Alan Griffin and Adrian Autry, as well as O'Shea Brissett and Buddy Bayheim. So all that will be coming up in the first hour of the show, and in the second hour, we'll go to the Fantasy Football Power Hour with Mike Sofka of Hall of Fame FantasyFootball.com. We'll speak on a lot of different things, including the upcoming Super Bowl, as well as the Pro Bowl that's going to be down in Orlando, Florida, and everything that's going on with those festivities, the postseason, potential offseason moves, and teams in the most trouble, as well as officiating. So all of that's coming up on today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Very excited about this. Going to have some fun. So first and foremost, we have Papa Jay on the show. Papa Joe, how are we doing today? Good morning, Daniel. Everything's fine. And uh, Papa Joe, first and foremost, just uh, just what you can say. I mean, you're down in the state of Florida, and for the last uh, few years here and this season it, it, as well, we have the Pro Bowl down in Florida, down in Orlando. What do you think about it? I mean, do you pay much attention to the Pro Bowl, and what are your thoughts on the Pro Bowl and all the festivities being down in Florida? The game, the game is meaningless. Of course, it's uh, it's a big feather in the cap for the players that are uh, that are announced on the teams. But you know, they try not to hurt each other, and it's it, it's kind of a it's kind of a scrimmage. You know, there's really not any excitement to it. Uh, they're going to throw the ball forever. Uh, it's just not 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 my cup of tea. It's kind of like a uh, a team walkthrough, so to speak. So you know, do you do you pay attention to any of the other festivities and the other? Th- I know they try to get the fans highly involved. So outside of the game, do you feel that you know anything else, or, or is there or is there anything else to the Pro Bowl that you pay attention to? No, I don't, Daniel. It's it's just it's a lost cause for me. I don't <laughs> have any interest at all in it. <laughs> so you know, I, I thought about some ideas for. The- you know, a couple of them that are going to play there. 
Now, I've had some thoughts on this and, uh, you know, uh, kind of what they can do with the Pro Bowl. Now, they did change it up a little bit here. So it is in between the NFC and AFC Championship games and the Super Bowl. So it's not played after the Super Bowl as it had been played in the past one. We already know who won and it didn't matter. So now it's played in between in the hopes that, you know, that week off from football is not a week off so that fans that love the NFL and that love football and love sports are going to watch the wild card the divisional, the championship, the Pro Bowl, and then ultimately the Super Bowl game. So uh, my question to you, and, and it's something that I've came, I came up with before, is is essentially getting rid of the game itself and and just having you know a skills challenger or or something else that's out there. And what would you think of that? I know they do some different drills and whatnot, but what if they just made it about the fans? What if they just you know, took the game out of it itself and made it more of a skills challenge. What do you think about that? I mean, should they get rid of the game ultimately? Oh, probably they should. But I like the idea of your skills challenge. That, uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, now, you know, the only problem I see with, with having the game now, as opposed to after the Super Bowl, is the players that earn the right that are at the Super Bowl teams won't be able to go to the uh, participate in the game. So I don't much care for that at all. You know, Maybe it's a chance for the families to get out of the uh, the cold and come down to Orlando, wherever it's going to be in a warm weather climate. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun for the families. Uh, I know my my family in Milwaukee, it's minus four right now, and I guarantee they'd love to come to Florida to watch a, a football game in 75-degree weather. <laughs> so I, I don't know what, what else to say about that. Uh, the, skills, uh, the skills challenge is a good idea. Maybe they consider something like that. That coming from Papa Joe this morning inside of Papa Joe's pick, speaking on the NFL and college football. My other thought is that they make the game mean something. So essentially, and, and they and they get rid of the all-star sense of it, so to speak. So this is my idea. They, you know, I've jokingly called it the toilet bowl, but hear me out. So the two worst teams in the NFL face off against each other in the rights to have the number one pick in the NFL draft that comes up. So essentially what we'd be talking about here is right before the Super Bowl, so right before the two best teams face off against each other, we have the two worst teams faced off against each other. So Arizona and San Francisco would play a bonus game at a neutral site that could be Orlando. The winner of that game gets the number one pick in the draft. Then there's actually some value to the game. That's a good idea. Um, Although I, I, I don't think that Sam Cisco is one of the worst teams in the in the league because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, he didn't play this year, but you know that's that they'd be sort of like sandbagging that. Uh, Sam Cisco is a good team, and they'll be a heck of a lot better with Garoppolo coming in next year. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously they have been hurt by injury, hampered by injury. The thing that I find very interesting in the grand scheme of things here is that, you know, a lot of the teams that were drafting earlier on and getting quarterbacks and trying to build their franchises up again are back in the early part of this draft. The Buffalo Bills, who just got Josh Allen, the New York Giants, who just got Saquon Barkley, you know, uh, the Jets, who got Sam Darnold, 
the Arizona Cardinals who got Josh Rosen. Just what do you think about the state of some of these franchises? I mean, Arizona gets their quarterback, who they want their their guy to be. They draft Christian Kirk, a wide receiver as well. They have David Johnson, and you know, and they've had some success on the defense. And yet here they are struggling. San Fran gets their golden boy in Jimmy Garoppolo, and here they are in the top two draft picks. The the Jets get Sam Darnold. And now they have a new head coach, and they're right back at the beginning of the draft as well. And, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have consistently struggled, the Giants, the Bills, the Lions, who have been up and down. These teams are all back in the early part of the draft. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, um, these guys are under the gun to win and win quick, uh, which is what we saw last year when all of these first round draft picks uh, got to play, including Lamar Jackson later in the, later in the year. Uh, I think they, they, they put caution to the wind when they do that. You know, I know Rosen is not a very, uh, he's not a very muscular guy. He's kind of a, a spindly kind of guy. You know, these, these kids can get hurt. And I, I don't know if you should go ahead and do something like that. Uh, I've always been in the favor of sitting a quarterback at least a year, like what they did at Kansas city, Mahomes. uh, watching uh, their quarterback there, that, that seems to be a little bit more prudent. You know, you have an investment with these guys, and I don't know if you go around throwing them into the caution to the wind and throwing them right in there against 350-pound guys that are going to kill you. So I don't uh, I don't much care for that. Uh, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see them uh, matriculate, and go go through the process, learn, and instead of being thrown right in there. Then you got, you know, you got guys like Mayfield and who and Darnold who just are, are awesome. Uh, uh they just come right in and just start flinging it around. So I guess it's all depends on their intellectual uh, ability to to facilitate the game the way they've been taught over the years and what their coaching staff is telling them now. Yeah, you know, so we're in, we're in a situation right now where you know these teams are trying to trying to be effective, trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to advance, and you know some of them are going through these growing pains that ultimately continue and I think you know Arizona above everybody is going through this because they had a coach for a year they got rid of him they've had Josh Rosen not even for a full year and they're trying to figure out what he's going to be to this team David Johnson went down this year Patrick Peterson was upset allegedly about things that have been going on Larry Fitzgerald's coming back for a 16th season so you know there's there's a lot to be said about you know a team like Arizona who has the number one pick and and could go you know, could go anywhere, but Nick Bosa seems to be the guy that that they want to go to, and and that's the situation. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Papa Joe. Before we get off this subject, they have the seventh pick in the draft. Now, there's been some belief that the Jacksonville Jaguars will trade up and get a quarterback. There's other belief that they will sit where they're at. What do you think about, you know, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but what should the Jaguars do? Should they draft a quarterback? Should they? I mean, I, I would venture to say that quarterback, wide receiver, and linebacker are their biggest needs. They could, you know, shop Jalen Ramsey and make a move at a at a cornerback as well. What are your? Th- I mean, they have the seventh pick, so there's going to be a lot of different players that are there. Do they do they take the quarterback, or do you think they should look somewhere else? Oh boy, Our poor Jaguars! What a mess. Um, in my opinion, I think they should look elsewhere. Uh, the seventh, with the seventh pick, I think Coughlin is probably going to get what we call the best athlete available. It could be defensive end, wide receiver, quarterback. I don't know. I would like to see the Jaguars shop outside the draft and get a, a, a known quarterback at least for a couple of years. 
I love Foles. I love Foles. I loved when when he came into the league, and I like him even more now. The kid is a winner. He's cool, calm, collected. He's what he's what the Jaguars. Someone like that, or Joe Flacco. You know, even Flacco's a little bit older, but yeah, these guys are proven winners, and they're big guys. You know, six five, six six. I can look over the defense, and uh, certainly Jacksonville's defense is uh, is set, more or less set. Offense obviously need a lot of help. I guess Bortles is gone. I didn't, I haven't read anything down here. I haven't listened to anything at all about his situation or any type of draft choice at all. I haven't read anything about it where Coughlin is thinking. So with that being said, you know, uh, I, I would think that maybe a wide receiver or the best player available would, would be prudent to them. And maybe they need to get rid of Ramsey. That's what they need to do. It, it, the Ramsey is a cancer. Uh, he's a heck of a player, heck of a player. Uh, Certainly out there by himself out there is a shutdown corner, and he's just – he drives me crazy. That's what he does. He just he, – I just don't like his actions. I don't like his mannerisms. I don't like his body language. Uh, you know, other than that, I would say uh, maybe trade him for a draft pick or something like that or uh, go out and find a quarterback. Speaking here with Papa Joe inside of Papa Joe's Picks to start off the broadcast this Thursday morning. Happy Thursday, January 24th to everybody that's listening. And I have an idea. Now, here is my idea, and it involves Jalen Ramsey and it involves a trade. My idea for Jalen Ramsey is essentially that they do a straight-up deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers because the Jacksonville Jaguars need a number one wide receiver allegedly Antonio Brown is not happy in Pittsburgh. So what about saying to the Steelers, we'll take Antonio Brown, you take Jalen Ramsey, and have yourself a day. Yeah, Jalen is extremely talented, but I agree with you because I've been in that locker room the entire time he's been with the Jaguars, and he is a problem. So Antonio's not, yeah, I mean, he has his own whatever, but that just could be his his connection to Pittsburgh or lack thereof to the to the organization. So what are your thoughts on a straight up trade that the Jaguars say, Pittsburgh, you take Jalen Ramsey and you give us Antonio Brown? I don't like that, Daniel. I, I don't like Antonio Brown either. His his body language and mannerisms are leave a lot to be desired. I mean he's playing with arguably a Hall of Fame quarterback. And if he's fussing about what's happening up there and you trade him to Jacksonville, where they have no quarterback, I, I, I think he would probably, if he has the wherewithal, to veto a trade like that because he doesn't know who's going to be thrown to him in Jacksonville. Uh, I think Brown is just as big of a problem as Ramsey is, and I would stay away from both of those guys. So if you're Jacksonville, are you trading essentially for picks? I mean, that's that's the other idea that I brought. I mean, I think Jalen Ramsey can get you two number one picks. I think that he, or if two first-round picks, I should say, I think he could get you a first and a second. So is that what you look at with Jalen Ramsey? Do you do you trade him for picks and to free up some money? I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is there any receiver out there that you feel like uh, would be a good situation? Because a lot of these guys are locked up. You know, the T.Y. Hiltons and the DeAndre Hopkins of the world. And, you know, a lot of these receivers that are the stronger, the Devontae Adams, they're all locked up. So do you essentially, if you're Jacksonville, look for draft picks at this point? Absolutely. I think that's the way Coughlin likes to go and has proven in the past that it's successful. Um, I think he's got to go on the offensive side of the ball. I think you're right there. A, a couple of a couple of picks for Ramsey wouldn't wouldn't be all too bad. Um, 
maybe a first and a second or a couple of seconds or whatever, you know. It, you know, you have to find a dance partner uh, for someone like Ramsey. Uh, you know, there could be another hardline coach out there that doesn't want anything to do with them, and their GM is saying, listen, we got a shot to get Ramsey for a couple of picks. And the coach would say, I don't want nothing to part with that guy either. So uh, it'd it be, it be behind, hard to find a, a partner uh, for Ramsey based on what he's what he's shown. Uh, you know, we have to. I have to say this up front. I said he's a heck of a talent. He's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful talent. But he's not worth keeping. And I think it's worth uh, worth draft picks. Yeah. So I mean, that's something that Jacksonville will have to look at as time comes up here. I think keeping him on the team for another season is just going to create more issues, and ultimately, I think it's going to hurt the team, even if it helps the team. Speaking here with Papa Joe this morning, Papa Joe, I want to stay down in the state of Florida, and I want to, <laughs> I want to ask you about a quarter or about a uh, head coach that spent probably easily maybe three days. Uh, on Wikipedia, it says he was the head coach for 32 minutes. Other people are saying three days. Manny Diaz, when Mark Rick decided to retire from coaching the Miami Hurricanes, Manny Diaz was his defensive coordinator. Well, Manny Diaz had already agreed to a deal to join the Temple Owls to be their new head coach when Jeff Collins, who spent a lot of time on the show, had moved on to Georgia Tech. So Manny Diaz goes up to Philadelphia and I don't even know if the plane even landed before they called him back home and said, guess what, Manny, you're going to be the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. Have you ever seen a situation like this, known a situation like this, where somebody could be the head coach for about 57 seconds before ultimately they're back where they were before? Well, it's certainly it, it, it's certainly a, not a way you want to go. I, I remember what... Uh, Josh McDaniels did uh, to Indianapolis. That's probably the only thing that reminds me of it. I don't know. I guess there's not a, a, a man's word isn't what it used to be anymore. Uh, of course, he doesn't want to come to Miami. Uh, but he took the job at Temple, and I, I guess they figure something out. And I, I don't know. Uh, that that's a that's a tough call. I, I you know I, I look at a man and I look at a person or a woman or whoever. And I take that person for the for the word and how they how they profess themselves. And I would say that if you're going to be my coach, uh, and two days later you're going to leave, I lose all sorts of confidence and respect for a person like that. Yeah, I mean, I and 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 if you're Temple, I mean, here's the thing that I find hilarious above all this stuff is that uh, allegedly his buyout was four million dollars. So you you have this guy on your staff. You let him go. He goes to Temple, and you got to spend four million dollars to get him on a flight to come back home. That's the. I mean, I've seen exp expensive flights before, Papa Joe, and I've seen, you know first class before, but I've never he heard of a four million dollar flight. So you know, I just find it very interesting that Miami, and I guess if you got it, flaunt it. If you could spend it, go ahead. But essentially, you know, they're spending four million dollars to bring a guy back that they had two weeks before. That's true. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but Miami is a private institution down there. They're not; they don't have funds from the from the state of Florida. So, I guess they're heavily endowed, and if they can they can spend the money that way, more power to them.
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, in the situation that they were in, to do something like that is is pretty intense and pretty crazy, but that's where they're sitting at right now is that they have the ability to do that. Speaking here with Papa Joe on college football as well as the NFL this morning, uh, Papa Jay, we were talking about transfers and, you know, the things that are going on with the overabundance of uh, of transfers out there, the, the desire for somebody to jump ship. And it's not just happening in football, it's happening in basketball as well. Uh, Virginia... Tech's quarterback just said uh, Josh Jackson, who had been their starter the last couple seasons, he said he's transferring now. Deshaun McLeese, their running back, said he wants to transfer out of the program. They've been in the program for a while here, so they get added to the transfer tracker. And we already have seen, I believe, 14 different quarterbacks that have moved on. We look at James Gilbert, running back, who's gone from Ball State to Kansas State. And a bunch of other uh, wide receivers, uh, A.D. Miller's going from Oklahoma to Illinois. Uh, Jonathan Nance is leaving Arkansas for Missouri. K.J. Osborne is leaving Buffalo for Miami, and so on and so forth. Syracuse has a guy, Devin Butler, that's jumping out of here. It, it, it's happening all throughout college football, Division One A, FBS, and it's happening at every position. What are your thoughts on, on the on the rampant? transferring to the point where we now have to have a transfer tracker so that we can keep track of of all of these people i mean we're, we're looking at you know probably the sheet i'm looking at right now has at least 50 different players on it uh, from defensive back to linebacker to defensive line o-line tight end wide receiver running back and quarterback all of these positions shifting with these players going to different places what are your thoughts on it well, what I don't understand is, first of all, I agree with with a student athlete who's transferring if they have a degree. What I don't understand is if they're a redshirt junior or something like that, where perhaps maybe they haven't got their degree, uh, are they lumped in uh, with with the with the ones that have a degree? Certainly, if you have a degree and you you've paid your dues at your school and you want to go someone else, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I don't know about what the redshirts uh, are. They lumped into that. That situation too, because if that's the case, then it's even going to get worse. It should stay. It should stay with graduated. In my opinion, it should stay with graduated players. Well, and the thing is, if if you're already done and you're a graduate transfer, you could play right away. So you know you have the opportunity to get out onto the field immediately, where these other transfers are going to have to sit out a season. Now, the angle of it, and I spoke with uh, earlier on in the week. I, I spoke with. Uh, Darius Wade, who transferred out of Boston College to Delaware, ultimately at the quarterback position, and I asked him about this because he's a player who's gone through it. And the the angle that I asked him about from a player's point of view is is simply this, Papa Joe. If you're a player and you have a head coach and that head coach decides to leave or that head coach gets fired and so the staff that brought you in and the recruiting coordinator that brought you in and the head coach that brought you in, they're all gone. The people that promised you that they were going to be there for you are gone. Should you have to stay, even if you are an underclassman? And that's the question I bring up to you. When somebody's word is broken from the head coach or the administration of it all, does a player have to commit to that school after that happens to them? Well, um, that's a good question. Um, But here's my answer to that. I think if the student athlete is being recruited by a school. They're being recruited to play sports and also to get an education. Uh, I don't think having a, having the same coach there has anything to do with the education. 
The education is being paid for by the school. So therefore, ergo, you need to stay at the school and fulfill your commitment. Uh, you know, wait till you graduate before you chase another coach around the country. But, you know, there's a lot of parents out there that would say, you know, I just saved $150,000 because my kid's going to go to Purdue or something or Florida. And all of a sudden the coach leaves and the, the, the player's a mess. Uh, I think they got to learn that up front. Like I say, listen, you know, we're giving you a scholarship. We're going to get you educated. And for that exchange, you're going to play football, regardless of the coach. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, some of these players feel no connection. And then you ask yourself, what does it have to do with that, with academics? We talk about the student-athlete. Do you think that that's a term that is used almost disrespectfully at this point because, you know, it is so much about sports and, and schools are so driven about sports and a lot of the money that they bring in has to do with sports. So, you know, in, in your, especially down in the South. So is your mindset with this now that we should stop calling them student athletes because, you know, it, the focus is on the athlete side of it, or maybe we should call them athlete students. What do you think about the, the term student athlete? Oh, I think that's probably going to be passe in another five years. Uh, it's going to be gone. I wouldn't be surprised in the next several years that they wind up paying the kids some type of stipend plus the scholarship to go to school. It's it's a, a very expensive minor league uh, that they're that they're fooling around with now. Um, I, I don't I don't like it. I don't like where it's going. And I keep stressing this when I would talk about this that I I enjoy reading about and listening to the student athlete who's already got a degree and then wants to move on. To me, that's the key. You're going to get a degree. Basketball, it's a joke. Uh, they go to school for a half a year in their freshman year, and that's it. Then they go to the NBA. So, you know, there's no emphasis there at all. It's, it's a mess, and it's going to get worse. Well, and that's the situation that we're in right now is because we have these uh, Power Five, because we have the Autonomous Five, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the SEC, we're essentially in a position right now where they already have autonomy. They're already trying to get the players a, a bigger stipend, more money, and different pieces of this thing. And, and with them having their own separate set of rules and their own separate set of opportunities, it's creating a higher tier than the rest of Division One, which is ultimately you know, making, uh, they call it Division 1A football, but it's almost Division 1A and Division 1AA and then Division 1AAA for the one that used to be AA. So, you know, and then you have Division 2 and you have Division 3. So we talk about equality, Papa Joe, but I think it's safe to say that the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC, and the ACC, they're in their own world. The other five conferences, including the American Athletic, that makes a case for being a power conference, but money-wise can't get there yet. You know, they're they're on the other side of things. So, I mean, what should ultimately happen? Should should the Power Five create their own essential league and then have the other five conferences create theirs and then still have D2 and D3? I mean, should 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 the should the group of five that's outside of the Power Five create their own playoff? I mean, how do you see this right now? Because it it just looks like. You know, inside of Division One A FBS football, it's those five conferences and little emphasis on anybody else. They have a different set of rules. They have a different money pool. So where where do we go in the future? Do we split up Division One even more so, or what do we do? Well, I think you said the magic term, and that's money. The schools, the conferences you just named, are all heavily endowed with money. A lot of them, a lot of money. So you know, they're gonna they're gonna set the rules. They're gonna set the the standards. Uh, what I would like to see, 
uh, is the playoff expand to six to six teams and maybe include a team outside of the, of the Power Five. I think that that would uh, appease everyone, uh, and maybe you know have them tap into some of that money too. Some of these, these, especially UCF, someone who would, who would qualify for the playoffs are going to get a little stipend uh, from the pool. So I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think it should be six teams, but the, the Power Five and the teams therein, uh, they run the show, and it's all money, all money. And that's what it comes down to ultimately in the grand scheme of things is is money. So with that being said, as we wrap up here in this edition of Papa Joe's Picks Inside a Wake Up Call with Dan Tatora, which airs on Thursdays inside of our broadcast, Papa Jay, we've discussed some college football, the Pro Bowl, the NFL, Manny Diaz. Uh, the final note here, did the officials miss a call on that play with the Saints and the Rams? Oh, it was awful. Uh, you know, those of us who watch football for a living, you know, uh, you, you can just see those things coming, you know, and you, you've already got the flag out of your pocket and it's throwing it down. You're trying to figure out your next play, and all of a sudden there's no play. You know, I've said this before, and I and, and I, this is not has anything to do with ageism, of which I'm a part of because I'm old. Uh, the, the referees and the umpires have got to be a younger group of men occasionally women too uh they've got to be able to follow the, t- the the game quicker faster and make quicker decisions our umpires and referees now they do a good a job as they can but i think they're really restrained because of their physical activity they can't seem to get into it and see these things quickly uh the game is so violent and so fast uh it it, it scares you sometimes and all of a sudden we got to wait five minutes before they make a, a determination um, I would like to see them come up with some type of umpire referee league where where they draft uh, their own their own people of maybe late thirties, early forties that are physically fit that can go out and handle this type of situation. We have a lot of elderly referees out there, and again, I I I'm not making fun of them. I'm I'm not criticizing them that much. I just think it, it's a young man's game, a young person's game, and I think that's where they need to head. Well, and the thing that's really difficult is the fact that, you know, after the game, I mean, here's Roby Coleman who's saying, you know, that he knew he got away with something and kind of just laughing it off like, oh, well, whatever. You know, I I mean, it, it, it's it, it was such a blatant miscall that you you almost sit here in shock and just wonder what the heck's going on. And, and you know, that's the strangeness of it all is, that, you know, that, that after a game you could just openly say, yeah, you know, I got away with one, good for me, and let's have a great day. I mean, that... It's just sad, and it and and of course there's there's the other side of the argument where people say, hey, they had every chance to win the game after the fact. There there was more time on the clock. There was this. There was that. But ultimately, you can't underestimate the fact that one play can change a game, and that could have been the the you know I mean that that was you know not only was it a pass that should have been pass interference, but it was by it was by the end zone. So. You know, I think that that definitely could have affected this thing and could have shut the door on this thing in favor of the Saints winning and moving forward. So ultimately, I think you can't overlook a play like this, and you never want the officials to be the ones that decide the game. You want the players to do that. That's true. Uh, but again, the game is, is it's fast, it's violent, and you gotta got to be able to keep up with it. But stopping the game every 10 minutes to, to see if this is pass interference or holding you or something like that, you know, these are human. These are human people. They're going to make mistakes, but it's such on a such a large scale and a large stage that what happened was, frankly, 
it should be New Orleans and uh, and the the Lobster Bowl captain team in the in the world in the championship game. But that's not the way it is, and Los Angeles is uh, is ready to go. I guess they better be ready to go <laughs> because, because the Lobster Bowl captain is going to have something in store for them. I guarantee you that. Yeah, it's going to be a big time game coming up here as the Rams face off against the Patriots. And with that being said, Papa Joe, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. We appreciate having you here this this January 24th morning. It's getting a little bit warmer up here. I believe it's in the 40s. There's still snow on the ground, but at least it feels a little bit better. So hopefully Florida is warming up for you too. It is. It's beautiful. Thank you, Daniel. All right, well, enjoy your weather. I'll sit here and cry about mine a little bit. <laughs> Have a good day. Take care. That coming from Papa Joe once again here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora. Papa Joe's picks starting off our uh, college football season, carrying us through the NFL and having a good time here with Papa Jay. So thank you so much, Papa Joe, for being a part of Wake Up Call with Dan Satora and lending his thoughts on what's going on here with the world of football, both collegiately and in the professional ranks.